following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Today we're going to talk about gospel-shaped goal setting. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 10, if you would, uh, start working your way there. Uh, the new year is as good a time as any to assess or reassess our goals and our life trajectory. Uh, it is common for folks to reflect on the last year and, and make resolutions for the new one. And uh, so we're going to jump back into the book of Hebrews next week. We were working through that all through fall. We stopped for Advent. And we'll pick back up in Hebrews 7 next week. So if you weren't with us in the fall, if you just want to take some time over the next week, familiarize yourself with the first six chapters of Hebrews. And of course, I'll kind of recap as we jump back in next week to catch everybody up. Uh, But this week, I wanted to take just this first Sunday of 2023 to discuss what it means, what it means for our goal setting to be shaped by the gospel and to hopefully if time allows, and invite everyone to think about one spiritual discipline I think is worthy of consideration as we go into this year, and I think it all kind of ties together. So um, I, I could anticipate some folks thinking that this premise right off the bat is, is maybe an example of over-spiritualizing things. I'm, I, I don't think necessarily most of you would say this out loud, but I could imagine someone at least thinking something like, okay, preacher, sure, uh, yeah, you know, I should have some spiritual goals, but look, man, not all of them need to be spiritual or gospel-focused, do they? Like, aren't you kind of overdoing it a little bit? And, and I, I genuinely can understand how someone could think that way, particularly because of how we as humans tend to group things in our minds. Uh, most of us think in terms of categories, we have home life, we have work life, and then we got our relationships, and then what we do for fun and, and leisure, and oftentimes in our mind, these are categories, they're different buckets, they're, they're segmented. And then oftentimes, one of those buckets or categories is our spiritual life. And so what we're going to do today is read all of 1 Corinthians 10. I don't know if some of you thought... Oh man, he knows we were all up late, so he'll probably take it easy today. No, we're doing a whole chapter today to start out the new year. Amen? Amen. All right, good. (laughs) We're going to do all of 1 Corinthians 10, and why? Well, partially because 1 Corinthians 10 is an awesome chapter, and its content is something every follower of Jesus should be familiar with, but also it addresses this segmentation that I was just talking about, and it's not wrong for us to have categories in our lives, and it's maybe even necessary, but spiritual life shouldn't be one of the categories. And so I want us to read together and, and see if you can spot why as we're working through this today. And uh, rest assured, if you don't spot it, I will point it out to you. <laughs> Amen. Okay, so since we're reading, normally what we'd do is I would read all of the verses that we're dealing with on a certain day, and then we work back through it. But because we're doing an entire chapter... I'm going to stop along the way and make sure that we're all following the trail of thought together. So we're going to take this in pieces all the way to the end. So 1 Corinthians 10, uh, first let's, let's break it up into the first 12 verses, see what we have here, okay? 
For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as an example for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Okay, so what do we have here in the first 12 verses? The first 12 verses is, if I was going to summarize what Paul's saying, he's saying, don't brush off what I'm about to say, because you think you are immune from the temptation to idolatry. And how do I see that? Well, he starts off by saying, basically, don't kid yourselves. Think about the children of Israel. They were led by a cloud in the wilderness. They were led by a pillar of fire in the wilderness. They, they drank miracle water. They ate miracle manna. They had very strong religious spiritual experiences in the desert with God, didn't they? These guys, if anybody was going to think, well, surely I'm in, I'm good with God. Surely I'm probably beyond the point of getting tripped up by something as foolish as idolatry, it would, it would be them. But then what does it say? But the Lord was not pleased with many of them. Many of them laid in the desert, right? And so he's starting off brilliantly before going into kind of laying out for us what this idolatry he's warning us about looks like is, is first of all, don't, don't, the next things I'm going to say, don't think you're immune. Don't think somehow you're above this just because you've Maybe been walking with the Lord a long time. The, the people in the desert walked with the Lord a long time, didn't they? And yet they were not immune. They were not beyond the temptation for idolatry. And so what, <clears throat> what does that mean? Well, one thing we need to know is idolatry isn't just worshiping little statues, okay? And, and we see that how? Well, if, you, if we look back through this, look at verse 7, Okay? Do not be idolaters. Okay, so what is this warning? All right? Look, even the children of Israel got messed up in this. Don't be idolaters as they were. What is, and so what does that look like? As some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. You might be thinking, none of that sounds bad or sinful. You're 100% right. And that's actually why sometimes idolatry is so sneaky is because it's not necessarily something that is inherently sinful. It can be good things. It can be things that are even gifts from God elevated to a place they don't belong. It's when good things slide into a place in our heart where only God belongs. Good things can become God things and thus become an idol. Okay? So you might say, well, I like to eat and drink and play. Uh, am, I not, am, I, am I an uh, idolater? Uh, I hope not, <laughs> but those things being more important to you 
or those things taking the place of God. And what does that look like? Well, really it comes down to issues of worship because he, he gave us this warning, look, don't brush this off. And I think our greatest temptation to that would be when we hear the word idolatry, we tend to think of maybe Eastern cultures and religions or, or ancient cultures and religions that had literal statues and carvings and they would, they would leave food for them or they would burn candles to them or they would pray to them. And we think, well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was foolish superstition uh, or, or that is foolish superstition where it's happening today. But friends, the, Paul isn't talking here about the, the Israelites in the wilderness, this warning against idolatry, they weren't worshiping little statues. What were they doing? Well, all kinds of things. First of all, they, instead of obeying God, they put in priority eating, drinking, playing. What else happened? Verse 8, nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Paul here is recounting the history of the people of Israel, specifically in the time of the wilderness and, and places where they fell into idolatry. This particular instance he's talking about is an instance of sexual immorality. Okay, So here's yet another way where something that ultimately is supposed to be a good gift from God ends up becoming something that detracts and pulls away our affection from him, and we end up focusing, and, and, and this is a tough word to swallow, but we end up worshiping, right? Because what is worship? Do we all worship? Yes. Everyone worships. The, the atheist worships. What is worship? Worship is what we give our time and our talent, our treasure. What do we think about? What, what, what holds our heart's affections? Everybody's got that. Everybody's worshiping something. And idolatry oftentimes is about a turning inward and worshiping our own desires or the object of our desires. Okay? This is important. And I said, so what does this have to do with gospel goal setting? Well, give me a minute. We'll get there. I promise. Okay? Verse 9. Nor let nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. What's he talking about there? He's talking about when they were discontented about the food that God was providing for them. So this discontentment and this focus upon something else they wanted other than what God was providing led to idolatry. That be, what, what they wanted from God became more important to them than God himself. God in the way of them trusting him. And God in the way of them worshiping him. Verse 10. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. This is when many of them grumbled against Moses and Aaron, who were leading them in the way that God had told them to lead them, and they all decided, you know what, we, we know better. These guys are hacks, and I don't want to follow them anymore, and, and let's, let's take them down. I don't think God's really with them. And then they found out God was with them, <laughs> okay, because they got laid down. They got sat down, all right? That's uh, it's another way, you know, it, what is that? That's worship of self. That's worship of of my own ideas over the authority that God has placed in my life. I know that's, that's you really want to start the year talking about that. That's really exciting stuff. Okay, so that, so Paul's giving, so, all right, don't get wrapped up in idolatry. Here's some examples of how that looked for them. That's, so this is Paul's flow of thought, okay? And you might be, man, you, you're looking at uh, the people sat down to eat and drink and sit up to play. You're, you're looking at all these other examples, and, and I could see you thinking, man, and maybe you weren't aware of this before now, but apparently I can make an idol out of anything. And, and to, to, to realize that, you might start to spin a little bit and think, man, well, it, how is it not hopeless then? If I had, and, and Martin Luther said this, that, that our hearts are idol factories, right? So if this is really what it looks like to be a human, if, it's really, if I'm really this prone to end up 
worshiping created things instead of the creator, if I'm really this prone to worshiping good things God gives instead of the giver, if, if, I'm, if, if, it, if this is really true, what hope is there? How could, I, how could I not end up in doing the very thing I'm being warned not to do here? And, and so the Spirit of God through Paul basically says, I got you, <laughs> okay, if that's where you're at. So let's go to the next verse, all right? We read up, we read up through 12, um, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall, okay? Paul knows by the Spirit of God right now you're probably sweating a little bit, like, who? this, okay, that's scary, but no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. What does that keep us from doing? Getting in a pity party thinking I'm the only one struggling with this uh, my, my darkness, my struggle, my difficulties, I'm, I'm so much more hopeless than the next guy or gal. No, no temptations overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Also, as we've seen throughout the book of Hebrews, no temptation that you've dealt with is something Jesus did not also deal with. And so you not only have other people that know what it's like to be tempted like you are, but you have a great high priest who also knows, and he's sympathetic towards you. He's merciful. He's gracious and kind. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide you the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. That right there is a hope-filled promise. That right there is something I need in my pocket all the time, right? Because that's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is I'm never backed into a corner. I never am left with no choice. There is never a point where just because this flesh feels like it's on fire with passion for some foolish thing that I cannot, by the power of God, take a way of escape because he will always provide it for me. He's promised it right here. There is no device of the enemy. There is no trap of the enemy that it's just a foregone conclusion. I got to step in that thing and, and all, all of the pain that comes from it has to be mine. That's never true. More of you should be excited about that than it seems like you are. That's a real good promise right there. That's something we need. That's part of why coming to 1 Corinthians 10 today, this is something we should all have memorized. This is a promise you're going to need on the daily because your, your enemy's going to try to convince you and your own foolish flesh is going to try to convince you this is happening. It's, it, there's, there is no hope here. And it's never true. And he's going to give us more reasons why, besides just the fact that God has promised it. So if that's true, what, what, because, because Paul knows the first 12 verses could lead you to go, it's hopeless. <laughs> I'm an idolater. That's just how it's going to be, right? Then he says, no, your God will always make a way of escape for you. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Because God is involved, because God cares about this, because God has promised his power to be brought to bear on this, then flee from it. Fight. Don't give up. Don't be hopeless. That's never the posture of someone that belongs to Jesus. Hopelessness is not in our vernacular. It shouldn't be. And so all of that thus far, those, those first verses up to 12 that we read, those were all negative examples. Okay, Those negative examples assault the idea of a divide between our spiritual life and the rest of our life. How do I see that? All the ways that we are tempted to sin, they're really issues of worship. What do we see listed here in Paul's examples of, all right, don't, look, the Israelites, 
you, you would think if anybody was going to be immune to temptation to idolatry, it would be the Israelites literally being led around the desert by a pillar of God's presence. Literally drinking water, miracle water all the time. Literally eating miracle frosted flakes or whatever manna is. Right? If anybody was going to stay out of idolatry, you'd think it'd be these guys. And his point is, they didn't. So don't think you then are immune. Don't think you are not going to be tempted in this way. Well, I've been a Christian 45 years. It doesn't matter. This is the fight. This is part of what it looks like to follow God in a fallen world. There will be temptation to put things in front of God. Our adoration, our affection, our allegiance constantly is trying to be pulled towards other things besides the one whom deserves them. That being Christ our King, okay? So all the ways we're tempted to sin, they're really issues of worship, food and drink, leisure, sex, our relationships to authority. These were all addressed in these examples. But the broader message is, realize we are all tempted to idolatry in many ways, but take heart because God always provides a way of escape, okay? So that's what we have thus far. And now... So, so he's teaching the principle through a negative example. Now he's going to pivot to positive instructions to help us navigate these things. Okay, so that's, that brings us to verses 16 through 26. So let's look at that. I don't think I read 15 yet. He says, I speak to his wise men, you judge what I say. That's a good line. Verse 16, is not the cup of blessing which we... Bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices shares in the altar? What do I mean then? That a sacrifice to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. But I say that the things which Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's. And all it contains. There's a lot there, okay? So he's talking about, first of all, he's, he's talking about communion, comparing that to the Old Testament sacrifice system, where part of that would be, like if you remember in the Exodus, right, they put the blood over the, the doorpost, they ate a part of it. That was, that was a part of the whole thing of kind of reconnecting with God as a, during, through the process of repenting for sin. And then, and, now, and then he's talking about pagan sacrifices and what they do with their meat and what that means. So there, there's a lot here, but I'm, I'm going to boil it down to this. Here's what he's really saying in verses 16 through 26. He's giving lots of examples, and, and, and he's, he's, to, to his audience and to the issues the Corinthians particularly were dealing with, all this was very relevant and kind of on the nose. I know for you, most of you don't have big questions about whether or not you should eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols, right? Because that's what he's talking about. He says, you know, eat, you can, you can buy whatever meat's in the market and, and you don't have to worry about it for conscience sake. And you might be going, okay, uh, I like the meat market, but I don't really know what that means, right? Like some of you are like, okay, cool, I'll barbecue. 
after this, fine. Um, that's a good idea. I think you should. But here's what he's talking about. The, the issue of the day was this, okay, that there was, st- particularly in Corinth, there was still a lot of pagan temples, a lot of pagan sacrifice. And so you had animals being sacrificed to these pagan gods. Paul has zero problem saying, uh, those idols are demons. Sup, right? Like, okay, if you don't like that, oh well, because that's what it is, right? Um, there, is, there is no friendly spirits, white magic, Casper the friendly ghost, any of that, okay? There is one God. There, there, are, there are two sets of supernatural powers in the world, those that come from God and those that come from the forces of darkness. And you, 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 you start fiddling and messing with any of that other stuff, I don't care what you call it. You can put white in front of it, you can put good in front of it, you end up fooling with demons. And so you ought not. Okay? Go ahead. Say amen, church. That's a good place to say amen. It's all right. And genuinely, I know Paul's pretty blunt here, and I just sounded pretty blunt about it, but if you've got questions about that, or there's confusion, or you know, you're not sure why that's true, or if it's true, and you want to talk to somebody about it, please give us the opportunity. I'd personally be happy to sit with you and tell you why Paul's talking about it like this, and why I just said what I said. And I'm not trying to come at anybody sideways or wild. Because I can understand the allure of that, and, and I understand how it can be really confusing the way it's talked about sometimes. So just offer that to you if, if that would be helpful. Okay, so, <clears throat> so the, the meat sacrifice to idols, people were freaked out, right? Because there, there were Christians who said, look, man, you can't eat that meat. That was sacrificed to an idol. That's, you're, you're then partaking in that demon worship. And, and part of the deal was, typically, the meat that had been sacrificed to idols, it was sold for cheaper in the meat market, right? So you got, you know, some people probably didn't even worry. Some of you clip coupons, and you're like, ooh, that cheaper meat. What about that? You know, some of you don't even care or pay attention, you know, maybe until this last year, and now you're like, ooh, coupons. Somebody teach me, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Amen. But, <laughs> so that was part of the point. You had, you had a divide among Christians. There's more about this in Romans 14. 1 Corinthians 10 and Romans 14 kind of go together and, and help round out this whole issue. But I know this isn't a big deal for us, but it was for them. Question being, can I, can I buy that meat? Can I eat that meat? Is it sinful if that thing was sacrificed to a demon? Whatever, whether it was Artemis or Aphrodite or you know, Ares or whoever they were sacrificing to, whatever the fertility god or the, the, the farming god or whatever the thing was, am I participating in that? And Paul's point here, and what he's breaking down is, listen, guys, we have to, he's breaking into this big, broad teaching. This, this is why I'm saying 1 Corinthians 10 and Romans 14 are things every follower of Jesus, you need to know the content of those chapters because they're really important for us to know how to navigate life as believers because there's this issue of conscience and it's tricky, okay? It's something that you really, you need the Holy Spirit's help to know because there's all kinds of dangers, um, we can ignore our conscience and end up sinning. Or we can try to force our conscience onto other people in matters where there's room for conscience to be different and end up sinning, okay? So you can, you can end up sloppy and, and, and sinful that way, or you can end up legalistic and sinful that way. And, and so there's a lot there, and I can't get into all of that. I'm gonna just going to suffice to say, Paul's summary here is, it's not the what, eating meat, that is the issue. It's the why that matters, it's not, eating the meat is not really the issue. If you eat the meat and you're just eating the meat because it's cheaper meat, he's like, good for you. But he's also going to go on to say, look, man, if somebody else's conscience is going to be harmed in that, then don't do it. 
And if you're conscious, if you're bothered by the fact that that meat was sacrificed to idol, don't push past that for the deal. Okay? Just because you can get a coupon for the pagan demon meat doesn't mean you just push past all other considerations. But ultimately, it is this. The why is the issue. The why is the issue, not the what. It's not so much the eating of the meat. It's why you're eating the meat. That could, that could have you either in trouble or not. Okay? And in verse 26, we, we see what I would call the first of two full frontal, very obvious assaults on the idea of a divide between our spiritual life and all the rest. So let's look at verse 26 again. I don't know if you spotted it. I told you I'd point it out. Here's what verse 26 says. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Okay? So right off the bat, you know, the context here, he's talking about meat sacrifice to idols and conscience and why you, you don't, if you can get this, then you're okay to eat the meat, right? Because the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. But also wrapped up in this is this idea that how does, how does that phrase, for the earth is the Lord and Lord's and all it contains, how does that interface with this idea that we sometimes have that I have like a, a regular life and a spiritual life? That like over here is all this stuff and then, and then over here I do this stuff. Well, hold on, man. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Okay? All of our life is meant to be spiritual, if you want to use that word. All of our life is meant to be motivated by the truth of the scriptures. All of our life is meant to be viewed for the, through the lens of the gospel and walked out as such. There isn't these, these demarcations, these dividing lines that we sometimes put up around this particularly is, is problematic because the, the very breath we are inhaling and exhaling to do anything that we do in all of life belongs to God and is a gift from him. Okay? So that's, that's the first of two full frontal assaults. I think the next one's even more plain, but we'll get there in just a second. So now let's look at verses 27 through uh, 30, okay? If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything set before you without asking questions for conscience sake, okay? So now he's laid out the principle. Now he's just giving some practical examples. Okay, here's, here's a real deal, real world example of how you can conduct yourself following this principle. You go to a person's house that is not a follower of Jesus. They put meat on the table. You don't need to make a big deal about that. You don't have to ask, was that sacrificed to an idol? Look, man, if the pot roast looks good, I mean, you may want to do that if it's dry and you don't want to eat it. Like, hey, is that, is that demon meat? Um, you know what? I'll just have some vegetables. You know what I mean? Um, but if the pot roast looks good, you know, if it's dripping, right? If it's like, if it's that roast... Don't worry about it, man. You don't have to ask a question. You don't have to bring it up. If your conscience is not, is not if you understand that the idol is not really anything, if you understand that the, the, then thus the meat sacrificed to the idol is, is not really anything, it's all, that's all foolishness and deception. And so this, this meat is not somehow spiritually tainted. That's, that's what Paul's saying, okay? Don't, really, he's saying, he's saying, he's warning against an over-spiritualization of things here. Like, it's just meat that was cheap. Get in there, man. Go for it. It's okay. All right? Chill out. But if anyone says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. 
Now, that might be confusing, but, but remember, what's the context? We're in a person's house who does not believe. We're in a person's house who's not yet following Jesus. So that means for them, they, they probably think this pagan sacrifice, that it, it is, there is something to that. That this meat, this meat does now have some kind of spiritual significance. And then for, you, for them to tell you, uh, this meat was sacrificed to idols, and you go, yeah, that's good roast. I'm still eating it. You know what I mean? The problem is their conscience, not yours. Paul knows you're not worried about it because you, you follow Jesus and you understand this, this meat didn't get bad juju spirits in it because someone sacrificed it on an on a altar to an idol, right? But he's saying, but, but you need to care about what they understand. You need to care about what they know. You need to prefer them over having that roast beef sandwich you're excited about, right? Okay, now... He's using meat sacrifice to idols. I have a ton more to cover. Can you use your imagination and think of other examples in your life today where this principle could work out? Um, that's, that's your homework. Think about it, okay? It's preferring the conscience of another person, okay? I got lots of examples. If you'd like to come see me afterwards, then I'd be happy to share those. But I, I, I got lots of things I need to show you, okay? So, that's verse So 28. If anyone tells you this meat sacrifice to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? Okay, we already covered that. If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Okay, Paul's in agreement with Peter's vision on the rooftop, right? What Jesus said to Paul, get up, kill and eat. No, I've never eaten anything unclean. Don't call unclean what I've called unclean. All right? That's the book of Acts. If you don't <clears throat> know that story, go check it out. So there's there's harmony in the scriptures around how we think about these things. because, And this is trippy, particularly for people that had come up in a, uh, the, the Hebrew context with the, the laws of the Old Testament as their guideposts, right? Because they, they had very strict laws about what they could and couldn't eat, what animals were clean and unclean. And so this is part of how the, the new covenant kind of rocked everybody's world, whether you were Jew or Gentile, everyone was going to have to humble themselves. Everyone was going to have to change the way they thought about some things if they were going to follow Jesus faithfully, okay? Uh, the gospel is an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> like, wherever you're coming from, when you come, you're going to get checked somewhere. Amen. That's part of what I like about it. Amen. All right. Uh, so those are just some practical instructions on this specific issue. He's giving, so, but it's, you understand, it's not just about that. He's giving examples to, to lay out practicalities, but it's, it's a principle that he's talking about. He's talking about conscience. He's talking about um, everything that we've already talked about, and I'll end up repeating myself if I get back into it. Okay, so let's look at uh, verse 31. All right, so he said everything he said, then comes this bomb. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This, I see, is the second full frontal assault on the false divides that we have in our life between the rest of life and spiritual life. Whether you eat or drink or, you might be like, okay, yeah, eat or drink. Then he says, whatever you do, there went all the loopholes. <laughs> whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. So anybody that at the beginning was maybe thinking, well, come on, man, I just want to make some New Year's resolutions that don't have anything to do with church stuff. I hear you, 
But whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. For the believer, for the follower of Jesus, the glory of God belongs in every conversation. It belongs in every set of goals. It belongs in all of life. Okay? So, that's the second full frontal assault. You might be asking, all right, what does all this have to do with gospel-shaped goals? Okay, well, here, now I'm going to run it back to you and then, and then try to show, I'm going to try to do what Paul did, give you some practical examples. Okay, so first we had to establish that all of our life should be shaped by the gospel and there is no divide. We, that needed to be established for our premise to stand, okay? Then we had to be shown what it means for our life and goals to be gospel-shaped. That's summarized in verse 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's kind of a summary statement of the premise that we're working off of today, right? Okay, all right, I, I see that. I don't really see a way to argue myself out of it, but okay, but what does that mean, man, <laughs> right? Like, how do I eat to the glory of God? How do I drink to the glory of God? How do I, whatever I do to the glory of God? What, what does that look like? Well, It's maybe not as obvious as some of the other things we've pointed out, but it is here. The the practical roadmap for what that looks like, it is here, okay? Uh, Let's look back at verses 23 and 24. What do they say? All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Okay, first big principle that I, I hope you will so on your Jesus sash is a little patch, and so it's always there so you can see it, okay? Some of you are like, I'm a new Christian. Am I supposed to have a sash? I'm, it's just an example. They, they don't, we haven't done sashes yet. I suppose we could. I mean, it motivates Boy Scouts, so, you know, I mean, what if we had patches, man? Like, that would be, somebody work on that. We'll just, let's just brainstorm it. I don't know. Could be cool. I like patches. Amen. Uh, where the heck are we? Oh, verse 23. Okay. But here's the here's a principle I want you to understand. All things are lawful, not all things are profitable. Okay? As Christians, we're trying to make decisions. We're trying to set goals, trying to think about what our conduct should be, how we should think and conduct ourselves. We don't ever just ask, can I do this? We always need to ask, should I do this? And how do I figure that out? It, it's that divide between permissible and profitable. We don't just do stuff because we can. We, we are called to take a step further and ask, how is this profitable? You might be thinking, you know, you hear the word profitable, that could mean a lot of different things to you, couldn't it? Could be, is it profitable to me? How do I define that? Is it profitable in an economic sense? Like, is that, is that what's in view here? Well, no, he, he clears it up for us. All things are lawful, not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Edify. That's the first clue. It's a, it's a clue that, about what he's going to make very apparent in the very next verse. Because edify is, is now, now the focus is, okay, so what is profitability? It's, profitability is something that edifies. What is edification? That's the building up of people. So it can be building you up in your faith. It can be building up others in your faith. But what's the very next thing he says as he's giving shape to this idea? Let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. Anybody catching an echo there? About not seeking your own good, but the, the good of your neighbor? Sounds a lot like loving your neighbor. Huh. 
That's interesting. So are, are we starting to see here that to eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God? Is that, is that tied then to walking in love? Sure, seems like it. Because this is all one thought. That's why, I, listen, I knew doing 33 verses on, on New Year's Day was like, that's going to be a heavy lift, right? But I, could, I couldn't break it up. I couldn't figure out, okay, well, we can stop here and still get the, I just couldn't do it. We, we had to look at all of this together to really understand what's being said. Because that's, you may say, yeah, man, I do. I, anything I do, I want to do for the glory of God. But if, if I left you with just that, yeah, go, go do that but didn't do what Paul does and give practical examples of what that means, you, you could, a lot of times then the motivation just fizzles out. Because if, if, you, if you know what to do but not how to do it, then that can, that can even be frustrating. That can contribute to any, any kind of disappointed or, or disenfranchised. So we, we don't want to do that. We want to take all of this together, all right? So Paul gives an example. He, you know, he says, let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. Then... He goes into the whole thing about if you go to someone's house, eat the meat, don't eat the meat, ask the question, don't ask the question. He gives a practical example. Here's what that looks like. Okay? So let's follow the same pattern. All right? Let, let's, let's see how, how good our finger is on the pulse of the culture around us. Okay? I looked up, I, I, I kind of cross-referenced, and, and you know, because some of the lists weren't exactly the same, but I... I, I kind of compiled a list that took the top five from the most places that agreed, okay? But here's what I'm looking for. Top five New Year's resolutions, all right? What do you guys think? Let's try number one first. What do you think the number one top New Year's resolution is in the United States of America? Somebody, somebody said exercise really loud over here. That's 100% correct. Exercise is the first most... Uh, it's, it's the highest by a, by a pretty wide margin. Well, I'm going to exercise. I thought about whether or not I'd have everyone raise their hand and say if that's one of their New Year's resolutions, but we'll leave that between you and the Lord for now and maybe any accountability partners you have. Amen? Um, the, and some could put this together. I heard somebody over here do it. So it's exercise. The second one is lose weight. Okay, so that's one and two. All right? And then there's another one that's not exercise or diet related that comes in at number three. Any guesses? Who was, who was that? Save money. That was it. So it's exercise, lose weight. Some would put those together. Consistently, the next one is save more money. Be better with your finances, okay? Uh, fourth kind of ties in with the top. It's a better diet. Eat better. Stop eating so much junk. That's another one. Um, and then the fifth one is a little different than the rest. Anyone want to take a stab at that? What was that? Less TV. That'd be a good one probably for all of us, but no, that's not it. It has to do with occupation. So making some type of job move, advancing your career, doing better in that sphere occupationally. Okay? So it's exercise, lose weight, save money, eat better, and advance your career. Okay? Uh, <clears throat> Let's, so keeping that in mind, let's, let's look at verse 33. This is the last one in the chapter. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Okay, so again, if you were like, well, you know, we went back and looked at 23, 24, it's talking about permissible and profitable, and then it says, don't seek your own good, seek the good of others. In case you were thinking that didn't necessarily tie into this doing everything for the glory of God statement, 
it, it also ends up capping the thought as well. So it's, it's, it doesn't just kind of begin that flow, it caps it as well. Because uh, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. And so very much in the mind of Paul the Apostle, this living in, every, in all that we do, whether we eat, drink, whatever we do, doing it to the glory of God is tied very much to this idea of considering others more important than ourselves. The example he gives is even you got to care about the conscience of someone else more than your own. You don't get to come in and be a bully and just because somebody doesn't get something you get, say, oh, well, you're, just being, you're just being weak. Romans 14 breaks that out even more. It says, look, man, those of you with a stronger conscience, you understand the meat, you can eat the cheap meat, the demon meat, don't, don't hassle the people that aren't there yet. Just don't eat the meat in front of them. But also those of you with a weaker conscience that think the, the demon meat is an issue, you don't get to throw rocks at the people that, that have come to a different place in that. And that's, we're talking about some, some next level spiritual maturity and discipleship here when you get to the point where you realize, look man, not, <laughs> how am I going to say this? There are things that could be a sin for me that are not a sin for you. There are things that could be a sin for you that are not a sin for me. Some of you thought maybe the Bible was very black and white, and it's, it's just it's all the same for everybody. And, and this principle is not true about all things, right? If you're like, ah, well, you know, adultery doesn't really bother my conscience. I don't care, okay? Like, you, you need, you're, we got to do something with you, okay? Because you're broke, your conscience is broken. You... Don't trust your conscience about anything until further notice, okay? Um, we'll, we'll let you know when, when you can start trusting your conscience again and, and discernment, because it ain't now, all right? Um, so you understand what I'm saying? You can't take that principle too far, but uh, this, this is something that exists scripturally, and it's a problem, because what it ends up doing is harming this bigger principle of what it looks like to live for the glory of God in all things. It ends up people... Um, judging each other harshly, and it ends up people hurting one another, either intentionally or unintentionally, not understanding these issues of conscience, okay? So, but the big, the big key here is, um, <clears throat> my hope today is not to tell you what your New Year's resolution sh- should be. Now, do I hope that growing in spiritual disciplines, like reading scripture, praying, gathering with and serving the household of faith. Do, do I hope those are on your list, growing in those things um, as, as resolutions for the new year? Absolutely sure. Yes, I do. I, I do hope that that made the list. That it, it, For you, as followers of Jesus, it wasn't just about exercise and weight loss and money and, and all of the stuff that everyone else makes resolutions about. I, I hope your growth as a follower of Jesus hit your mainframe when you're thinking about, hey, how would I like to grow in 2023? For sure, I hope that. But the point of this message is not to try to get you to put spiritual resolutions on your list. That's absolutely not the point. It's it's about, the main message is not about what your goals are, but why those are your goals. Because even those could be for the, even those spiritual ones could be for the wrong reason. Do you understand that? Even if, even if you were going to run up here after the service and say, Pastor Vance, I want to show you my list of New Year's resolutions. And you pull out this very nice stationery, and on top of it it says prayer, and it says Bible reading, and it says I want to be at every Sunday service all year. Mine didn't say anything about money like all the pagans. 
Mine are all spiritual. You like wrote it with a pen with gold ink and it's very angelic and nice. None of that guarantees you're not in trouble in the exact ways that we're talking about. Rats, right? I thought I had it. I couldn't wait to show you my list. Why? Why am I saying that? Okay, well, let's think, think back to that list of exercise and, and weight loss and do better with money and, and, and um, diet, eating, eating better. And then, and then think about, I want to pray more. I want to, I want to read the Bible more consistently. I want to, I want to gather with God's people more consistently. Um, what, what do you think drives many of these goals that people set? Could it be guilt? Could guilt be a major motivator of why somebody really wants to exercise more because they've probably heard the message a million times that, you know, if you don't exercise, here's all the things that's going to be wrong with you and here's what is wrong with you. Or, or could it even be selfishness? That, 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 and that could, that could manifest itself in a lot of ways. Just, I, I want benefits from this or, or even something like vanity, right? Could you have a stellar list of New Year's resolutions. Maybe a great mix of, yeah, I want to exercise more, and I'm going to read my Bible more, and I'm going to, and I'm going to save more money, and I'm going to gather with God's people more consistently and stop being a slacker, you know what I mean? Like, you could have this great list. Could every single one of those be busted at the core because of the reasons why you wrote them down? Because of, of vanity. I want to exercise more because I... I want to look better because of what? Or I want to do better with money because, you know, if I, if I, have, if I save money better and I quit being an idiot with my money, then I'll, I'll be able to have different things and then people will know I'm successful. Or if I'm reading my Bible more, I'll be able to drop that into conversations every once in a while about how consistent I'm being. Or if I show up at the gathering of God's people more consistently, people will see me and know that I'm a better Christian than I was last year. All those motivations are busted, man. Guilt, selfishness, vanity. And, and how do we know? Well, <laughs> we're going to need the Holy Spirit's help to know because the heart's deceitfully wicked, the Bible says. We're going to need God's help to know why I care about what I'm saying I care about in 2023. Man, you couldn't just give us a list of some good resolutions, bro, and move on. You know what I mean? Like, why? We got to get all deep about it. Well, because Jesus does. And he cares about way beyond the surface. And I'm so glad he does. Because if he let me just operate on the surface, man, I could live a really fake, hollow shell of a life easily and impress a lot of you with it. It'd be sad. It'd be tragic. What's the bottom line here? Love is a way better motivator than guilt and selfishness. This isn't about just <clears throat> what's right. It is about what's right. But it's also about, man... What, what is the cliche about New Year's resolutions? That we end up doing them all? I mean, what are the statistics, right? Not good. Most of the time, by the time you hit February, the New Year's resolutions, right? That's where they're at, down the toilet. Why? Well, a lot of times it could be because your motivation was busted. A lot of times, if, if your commitment was simply about selfishness, then when keeping commitments gets hard... If the motivation is guilt or selfishness, it's easy to let your current desire outweigh your former desire. Does that make sense? 
Because if, if your former desire, when you were sitting there really like thinking about it, was, man, yeah, I want to exercise. Because of whatever the reason is, right? But then two weeks later, you might be laying on your couch. And the desire to continue to lay on your couch is a far greater desire than getting your butt up to do some jumping jacks or whatever you're going to do. Right? But when love is a way better motivator than guilt or selfishness, when it's, it's love for God and love for people, when I'm doing all things, whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I'm doing it for the glory of God. And when I understand that doing things for the glory of God is tied to all that I'm doing being motivated about the good of others and loving others, it ups, it ups the thing, man. It takes, it takes the motivation up a whole new level. It's not just about doing what I feel like doing or not doing. It's, it's, not, it's not about my selfishness. It's not about these, these things that, that, that kind of, they can blow away in the wind. It, it takes this thing and moves it to an eternal perspective. This, this, whether or not I exercise, and here's, what, and here's what we're about to do. We're about to go back through the list. Because when our motivation is love for God and love for people, our motivation has eternal weight and real power behind it. And that's oftentimes what's lacking when it comes in walking these things out is real power. Because there is no real power in selfishness. There is no real power in doing things for vanity's sake. Other than to end us up in further condemnation when we try really hard to get there and then don't make it. But there is real power in love. There is real power in love for God and love for people. What I'm telling you is, things you've tried to do in the past, if the reason why you're doing them changes, if the glory of God comes into view, if love for God and love for people comes into view, you're going to have power to accomplish those things you've not had in the past, if, those, if that was missing. So let's think about it again. Exercise more. You could have really bad motivations for that, or we could understand a couple things. How, do, how would exercising more be for the glory of God? Well, first of all, I know that the Bible says... This body God gave me is something I'm supposed to steward. So obedience to God, glorifying God and obeying him could be one of the motivations. This body God gave me is something he entrusted me to take care of. And so because I want to obey God, I'm I'm going to, gosh dang it, do some burpees and stuff, right? Or whatever that looks like. Now let's span out to other people. You've got people in your life that love you, care about you, that you love and care about. Are you going to be able to spend more time with them, are you going to be able to be of more service and help to them if you're, well, I was going to make a joke that was probably, I probably shouldn't. Uh, it, just if, if, you're, if you're healthier and, and, and you're getting all of the benefits that you get from exercise, are you going to be able to be of more usable service on average to the people around you? For sure. Yeah. Right. For sure you will. So am, am, I thinking, am I thinking about that when it comes to whether or not exercise more is on my New Year's resolution list? Losing weight, same, same type of deal, right? Saving money. Is, is, it, is it bad for that to be on the New Year's resolution list? Absolutely not. God calls us not only to be good stewards of our body, to be good stewards of every single penny that he entrusts into our hands. And, and that whole idea of stewardship, that'll mess you up, right? Because you, you start to think of yourself as a steward. You start to understand, nothing that I have is my own anyways. I'm, I'm not the owner. I'm not the jefe. I'm not the boss here. There's a boss who entrusted me to hold this stuff and is going to come and ask me about it later. Like what I did with it. Okay? So thinking about the glory of God in, in your finances, so it, again, it's an obedience thing. I want to honor the fact that he's entrusted me with these resources, but then it goes even further. 
when you start looking at people around you and what's good for them, you start to think about generosity. And if I'm, if I'm doing better with my finances, I'm going to free up more bandwidth and potential for generosity. So saving money being on your New Year's resolution list doesn't tell you anything about whether that's a good resolution or not. You have to go into the why to find out. Same with... Uh, same could even be said true of occupation. And then we could go through and do the same thing, and I kind of already did, with all the, 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 ones we, the, the resolutions we might put in a separate column on a piece of paper. We, right? You, you might, somebody might have even wrote down, okay, well, here's my, here's my normal resolutions. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to save money. I'm going to do this and that. And then over here are my spiritual goals. I'm going to pray more and read the Bible consistently throughout the year and I'm going to gather with God's people, whatever the things are, right? You can, do, you can go through with the same process on each one of those things, dig down to the root and figure out, is this actually a good God-glorifying goal? Or is this something that really ultimately is about selfishness or vanity? And what you find down there is what matters. What is written on the list tells you basically nothing. That's how the gospel shapes our goal setting. Because think about it. The whole flow of this chapter is gospel, right? Paul starts out with, we're all sinners. Think about the Israelites. Don't think you're not also able to... What's the last... He says, the person who thinks he stands, careful lest you fall. Just in case you thought you had arrived, just in case you believe the fallacy that because I've been walking with Jesus for 10, 15, 25 years, whatever it is... I'm kind of past the point of temptation. No, man, the temptations just change. We're, we're never out of this. And you can get really discouraged by that, or you can keep reading and find out there is no temptation that's unique to me. We're all fighting these fights, and there's always a way of escape because God has promised it. Now, I know sometimes a conversation like this can get people skittish because I know some of you have been hurt by legalism, and, and so you don't want to go anywhere near that, and I can totally sympathize with that reality. So anything, I'm, I'm, I've said the word discipline in here, and I've said authority in here, and you're like, no, because maybe you've heard those words bent and wielded in a legalistic way, and that ended up hurting you and actually moving you further away from Christ and his gospel than, than towards him. And, and, and for, for those of you that that's the case, I promise you, I understand where you're coming from and I sympathize with you. But I also want to let some of you know that I know and Jesus knows that some people use legalism as a scapegoat for selfishness and laziness. And that's sinful. Okay? As soon as somebody starts talking about discipline, as soon as somebody starts talking about uh, us making some kind of effort towards obeying what the scriptures say. If you go, legalism, no, I'm free in Christ. Grace, grace. <laughs> grace. Then you're abusing grace and, and you, got, you got to repent quick and find someone that can help you figure out how this really looks because you're in trouble. You're using legalism as a scapegoat for laziness and for selfishness and for sin, Okay. And it's going to harm you. And, and it, it, can, it can really harm you. All right? 
I saw this phrase three different, this, I saw this sentence three different ways this week. It's really funny. It wasn't something I had in my notes, but it, it, it popped up in different places. And I'm not trying to tell you that, you know, it's an angel message or something. I'm just telling you what happened. I'd not really seen it before or didn't remember seeing it, but it's, it summarizes what I'm trying to say to you about as well as can be. Okay, listen to me. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Effort is an action. Earning is an attitude. That's a summary statement you could stand on to try to understand how to navigate everything we're talking about. Because, yes, legalism is a danger. The Bible's full of warnings against it. But also, so is a kind of freewheeling, hyper-grace misunderstanding of what it means to be free in Christ. And what it means to, to do all things for the glory of God. Okay? Legalism steals power from the gospel, but so does relativism. I'm just trying to think of an easier word, but I can't. So, legalism, relativism, they both steal power from the gospel. Both of those can draw you away from the fullness of what God has for you in Christ. And they'll try. And we have to be wise to both, okay? <sighs> Literally, in all caps, I wrote in my notes, check time, because I told you there was one specific spiritual discipline I wanted to talk about today that I want to just encourage you in at, at the beginning of the year. Um, so I'm, I, I had more to say about this, but I'm, I'm just going to give this to you so it's not, this isn't polished and it's not going to be as, as nicely woven into everything that's already been said. Just in, in my heart and on my spirit this week, this, the idea of fasting has, has been bothering me. And so I just want to, the, the beginning of the year is a good time to think about it. So as quick as I can, here's what I'm going to say. Because I know some of you know a lot about fasting. Some of you know nothing about it. Some of you know it as a fitness term. Some of you have no idea how it kind of crosses with or interfaces with the scriptures. All right. Fasting can be a, a physical practice, right? So if, like, you know, if, if you've been skipping breakfast all year as a weight loss method, you, you haven't been biblically fasting, right? So don't, don't think like, oh, I'm, I'm already doing that. Yeah, because I've been skipping breakfast, you know, because I'm trying to fit in these jeans. You heard me? That, that's not what we're talking about. Fasting is, is the, it's the, <clears throat> it's denying yourself something, but with a purpose that, that isn't necessary. It isn't just exercise or some physical thing. Um, we see multiple purposes throughout the scripture. Um, one example would, would be Daniel. He had a revelation, didn't quite know what that meant. He, he fasted seeking for God's wisdom and discernment. And, and there's something to denying our flesh that can sharpen our, the hearing of our spiritual man, right? The Bible talks about the, 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 the eyes of our heart and uses these analogies just to help us understand like, yeah, you know, sometimes if, if I get into a mode where, and December does it to many of us, where it's just like kind of whatever I feel like doing, whatever I feel like eating, whatever I'm just, I'm just doing. It's, it's the holidays, baby, right? We're just, woo! It's a month-long party. January's a good time to think about, all right, where, where are some things I could deny? What are some things I could deny myself? Where are some places I could deny myself? And for the intention and the purpose of honoring God, and, and quieting kind of the, the voice of, of my flesh. And so some people are very legalistic about fasting. Um, 
Some people will say fasting, biblical fasting is only not eating food. Um, that's not true for a couple reasons. One, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about um, that husbands and wives should, uh, I see young faces in here, husbands and wives should cuddle a lot unless for an agreed upon time, they're going to not do that for the purpose of prayer. Okay? So 1 Corinthians 7 talks about a, a different kind of fasting, a cuddle fast. You guys with me? Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, so right there you know this isn't necessarily just about food, and there's lots of ways you could even do the food part. Daniel uh, said he didn't eat delicacies, so no fine meats touched his lips, no wine touched his lips, and I think in the KJV it says, and he used no lotions for that amount of time. Um, you know, if, if not using lotion is a fast, then I'm fasting all the time because these hands is dry, you heard me. But, uh, no, it's, it, it's like oils, you know, he didn't, whatever. Um, if I go any further with that, I'll end up in trouble. Um, so my point is, don't get legalistic about the, the form necessarily. You, you, could, um, you could step back from media, like Gil said, of all different kinds. Uh, television, TV, um, those are the same thing. Social media. Uh, it, could, it could be a reduction in food, a certain type of food. The whole point here is denying yourself something on purpose. And, and it's also helpful if you can maybe think of things where this is why sometimes skipping some meals or a meal, only if this isn't a medical concern for you, let me make sure I say that, is helpful because whatever you're fasting, if it's something that would normally take some time, it's a really cool opportunity to replace that thing with something like prayer, with something like reading the scriptures. And so, um, because Jesus never commands fasting, I don't feel great about standing up here and saying, bless God, I'm Pastor Vince, and I'm calling a fast. Everybody's fasting. I've seen that done. And, you know, and most of the people that are here and are members, like, I probably have enough, like, love and trust and leverage that I could do that and you'd probably do it whether you wanted to or not but I don't want to do it like that I just all this is this last little bit of this sermon is an invitation to you to, to consider and to think about and pray about is, is fasting something that would be um, to the glory of God for you in, in the, the coming month okay so if you have more questions about that uh, I didn't get to say as much about it as I would like to uh, but if you have more questions about it, come, come see me afterwards, and, and maybe I'll try to put something out this week that is a little bit more comprehensive around that idea, okay? But, um, yeah, I think that's it. Let's just pray together. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you for 1 Corinthians 10. Thank you for the richness. Uh, thank you for all the gold we left on the ground, and I ask God that uh, your people would return to these verses, and by the power of your Spirit would... Uh, dig through them and, and mine out even more life-changing truth uh, from what has been written here. I thank you, Lord, for the, the very gospel shape of, of this chapter. Thank you for the reminder that um, none of us are above temptation, but also, Lord, as, as, you, <laughs> as you smack down those of us who maybe think we stand, um, right behind it you bring the promise that every temptation, uh, you promise to be with us there and to make a way of escape. And and you've called us, Lord, to fight, um, to flee from idolatry. Help us understand with greater clarity where idolatry is an issue for us, Lord. And uh, help us understand how that plays into 
Um, this kind of beginning of the year thing that we do, uh, setting goals and assessing ourselves. And Lord, help us go beyond the surface of these things. Help us to have goals that are gospel-shaped, that take into account all that you've shown us today from your scriptures. And uh, Lord, because of that, may, may the goal setting we do in 2023 have even greater effect than maybe times in the past. Lord, I'm, I'm asking that this year be a year of uh, more of the outpouring of your spirit and more uh, freedom for your people and more people, as Paul said in the last verse, coming to you and being saved. Lord, um, I pray that this church, as they're thinking about 2023 and they're bringing things before you, that the salvation of the lost is on their minds. Lord, may that be something that we all care about. And may we rejoice in the fact that uh, you've included us in your plan to bring the good news of your gospel to a world that needs it desperately. Thank you, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.